This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. A few things before we begin this week's episode of Grace Enough. First, please use discretion while listening. Today, we cover an important but sensitive subject that may not be suitable for young ears. Second, today's episode pairs perfectly with last week's conversation with Rosie McKinney from Fight for Love Ministries. While each of these episodes can be listened to independently, listening to both will provide a more in-depth understanding of pornography's impact on the brain, relationships, and how we view ourselves. Lastly, have you filled out my listener survey? It's quick and will help me serve you better, and you'll be entered for a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card. Go to gracenoughpodcast.com slash survey anytime before May 23rd to help me out. Today, I sit down with Jessica Harris. She's an international speaker and author of Quenched. Jessica talks openly and honestly about pornography addiction among Christian women with the hopes to facilitate healing. Today, she shares her personal journey, how Jesus meets us in the darkness, and how the just stop doing it message doesn't work. Oh, friends, this is one of those subjects it would be easier to ignore if it doesn't impact you personally. But we have Christian sisters who are fighting this battle alone, and we must know how to engage with them and love them in the way Jesus loves them. So draw near and listen in. Good morning, Jessica, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you for having me on this morning. Yes, I am glad to have this conversation. It's a bit of a difficult one for people at times, but it is a very important one. And so as we get going this morning, I first love to ask my guests, tell us a little bit about your early faith journey. When did you come to know Jesus? Like, how did that whole process start for you? Yeah, so I actually was raised in a in a Christian home. I'm a, a pretty conservative Christian family, but I tell people that like God was just a list of rules kind of that we followed. So we went to church Mm -hmm. twice on Sundays and once on Wednesday. And basically whenever there was some kind of church service, we were there and we prayed before our meals, but that was kind of the extent of Mm -hmm. our relationship with God, if you will. Like it was just, this is what you do. You do things and God expects this of you. So you dress a certain way, you act a certain way, you go to church and, and the end. So I was, I was raised in that home. So I was raised um, with kind of like a form of faith, I guess, you know, like just I always call it cultural, like just kind of a cultural culture. Yes, exactly. Like just not really having a personal faith Mm -hmm. because it was just like, this is what you do. Like, this is how our family acts. This is, we do the church thing. We do the prayer thing. Um, So it wasn't until I was 17 and I graduated from high school I had worked all throughout high school to 
check all the right boxes and to do all the right things. And so I had, I was valedictorian of my class. I was at a public school and I even threw like a Bible verse into the speech. Cause that was the controversial thing to do in the early two thousands was to like <laughs> yeah. be in a public school and throw in a Bible verse. And so <laughs> I even did that just all of the things that people would expect of me. And I walked across the, we were outside. So I walked across to receive my diploma and nobody clapped. And I, it just seems like such a like a small thing. But for me, it was huge because it just felt like I've worked so hard mm. to make everybody happy and to do all the right things. And nobody cares. Like at the end mm. of the day, nobody cares. And then it's like, now what? Now what do I do? Um, so that kind of launched me on this journey. I don't want to call it deconstruction because that's like a big thing right now, but it really made me start to question kind of everything. Um, yeah. if, if I've been working so hard to meet all these rules and to meet all these expectations and nobody cares about them, what on earth, what's the point? What, what is the point of all of this if none of it seems to matter? And so I kind of began this journey of really trying to understand my faith and what I truly believed. And it was during that summer that um, one of the women in our youth group, like our youth leaders actually shared that she had not been a, a genuine believer. Like she one day just wow. realized that this hasn't been my faith. Like I haven't owned this faith. And I remember thinking, how dare you? Like I've looked up to you. I can't, yeah. I can't believe that you've been a fraud this whole time. But so many people in the church were thrilled and they were like, Hey, welcome to the family. Wow. And that day I kind of thought, okay, like I need, I need to step back and look at this because it is possible to grow up in the church. It is possible to do all the right things. It is possible to, to be the shining image of yeah. a Christian and not actually have a relationship with Jesus. So I really need to, to look at this. I need to make some, some serious deep dives into my own faith here. And I opened up my Bible and the the verse I opened up to, um, and now I can't remember the reference, of course, always, but that's okay. <laughs> is, um, <laughs> Real life. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it was like, mm -hmm. I had never understood God's love like that. I had always understood it as something I had to achieve and something I had to earn and something I had to keep. Right. And then here it is that while we were yet sinners, while that's we right. were still enemies of God, while we were still doing all the wrong things, not even all mm. the right things, he loved us. And so that mm. is when I, the faith became my own, when it mm -hmm. became a, a relationship with a God who loved me, not a life built around trying to please and, and meet all yeah. these rules and expectations. So um, grew up in the church, but didn't really come to know Jesus yeah. until I was 17. I mean, I think that story is so much more common than, um, we care to realize, yeah. right? Like to acknowledge even how easy it is to make it a list of roles and to do's and I disappoint God and things like that. And that's a lot to work through uh, to untangle um, <laughs> when that's been your experience. But really what we're here to talk about is when you were young, you were exposed to pornography. Mm. And that is another element of even your faith where you're wrestling through shame and why can't I be set free from this? And what does freedom even mean? And so lay the foundation there for us. Like, when were you exposed? What was that journey into addiction like in kind mm. of contrast to, I don't know what in the heck I believe about 
God and all of the things. Right. <laughs> um, so I was exposed to pornography when I was 13. And mm-hmm. this is back in the land of dial-up and yep. floppy disks and uh, <laughs> um, fax machines and all that fun stuff. But <laughs> um, I was researching for school. I had no, there was nothing in me that was like, let me go Google what this means. There, I don't think there was Google, but like, let me go, let me go figure out what this means. Yeah. I didn't have words I was looking for, things I was looking for. I was just researching for school and the internet was relatively a new thing, I think, for people to have in their homes. And so there wasn't this understanding of the the dangers necessarily that were out there online. So it's definitely not something that we talked about in my family of like, be careful when you go online because there could be this stuff. And I was on an educational video website. It had a short thumbnails of different videos and one of them was a porn video. So right there, along with all of these appropriate school yeah. science-y kind of videos was a video of hardcore pornography. And so I clicked on it just because I was clicking through. I mean, it's all it was, the different thumbnails. Exactly. Exactly. Just like scrolling like we do now on social media, you just scroll mindlessly through people's stuff. So like I was just clicking through all the different thumbnails and boom. Um, and then it was pop-up after pop-up after pop-up. And it just kind of just like sucked me into this vortex almost. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up on an actual like pornography website and the type of website that it was like, sometimes when I say like, I'm a woman who is addicted to pornography, everyone thinks like, oh, romance novels. Like, no, (laughs) Um, the type of website that I was on was actually some of the most extreme hardcore pornography that was available online at the time. So I went from being 13 years old and like never really talking to anybody about sex to within seconds being exposed to some of the most violent and extreme hardcore pornography online. So that was a bit of a jolt. And also I have no idea what to do with this. (laughs) I have, I have now information that I have no clue how to process and I don't know what to do. Do I explore this further? Is this a thing that people do? Like what's going on here? And so my curiosity, I think in the beginning got the best of me where I was just watching it. Cause in my mind at 13, even growing up in the church, it seemed okay mm. because it wasn't sex. Right. And that was in okay. the middle of the true love weights movement, I call it, or the, the purity yeah. culture. Like the big thing was you just don't have sex and those, okay, well I'm not like this doesn't count. And so it seemed like a perfectly safe way for me to explore that without any of the risks of STDs or pregnancies. I didn't have to worry about any of that. So initially I thought this is fine. This is okay. I did get caught once by my mom. Um, God bless her. She lost her mind. (laughs) And (laughs) that's when I kind of realized like, oh, okay, well maybe, maybe not everybody is as supportive of this <laughs> exploration right. as I I think. And so I promised her I would never do it again, but totally didn't mean that. And I learned how to cover up my tracks mm. at that point, learned how to like, clear my history, learned how to clear my history, and then also like type in websites. So it looked like I had been researching for school. And over the course of the next couple of years, wow. I just developed this ability to be really sneaky about it. Mm-hmm. And I would go to great lengths to protect my consumption of pornography. And so by the time I was 17, my senior year of high school, I was reading erotica on school computers. I would pull up erotica on the school computers and read it. When I worked in the library, I would sneak into the back 
room where only like library staff was allowed to be because it had like all of the adult stuff, like all of the textbooks, the medical textbooks and things that just had naked people in them. And I would thumb through them. Um, I would get home and I would call my mom at work and say, I'm going to be researching for school. When when are you going to be home? Just so I knew how long I had. And then I would just watch pornography the entire time. Um, Mm. And right before I thought she was coming home, I would clear the history. I would type in a few websites. So it looked like I had done some kind of research and then I would shut down the computer. After she would go to bed, I would sit up at night and I would watch our cable TV channels. Back in the day, you could still get scenes sometimes, even Mm -hmm. through channels that you didn't get. And so I would sit up and just watch those. And I learned how to mute the TV right away because static is really loud and didn't want to wake her up. And I would keep track of which channel it was on and the recall channel. Like it was just, I had this whole life that was like constructed around being able to protect my ability to watch pornography. And then midway through my senior year of high school, I started to struggle with my, my grades, grades. I had always been a 4.0 student. It had always been super easy Mm. for me, but I was not getting any sleep because I was up all night watching our TV and then going to sleep for like two hours before getting up to go to school. So I was struggling and that's when I was like, okay, this might be a little bit out of control. I admit I might've let this get a little out of hand. I need to dial it back a little bit because it's starting to compromise my plans. And um, I couldn't stop. Like I I tried and I could not. So I tried to like set timers for myself. I tried to install passwords, but when you know the passwords, it's not super helpful. I I resorted to self-harm at certain points, like just so frustrated Mm. with trying to break free. And I started looking for help as a senior in high school. And when I started looking for help, that's when I realized like, wow, everything out here is for guys. Like, Am I the only woman in the world who's, who's done this? So that's like the early part of, of my journey of finally getting to the point of maybe what I have been doing isn't the healthiest thing for me. Maybe it's, it's not right. Obviously, after I graduated high school, that's when I came to know Jesus. And you would think like, yay, you came to know Jesus. Poof, now you're done. And that's not how it works. So it was kind of like, poof, now it's harder. <laughs> and um, yeah. I didn't it is know. such an interesting to, thing, right? <laughs> right. Like this suddenly became much more difficult. And I didn't know who to talk to. Like, who do I tell at my church? I've practically grown up in this church. My family serves in this mm-hmm. church, my grandfather was a deacon. My grandma taught Sunday school. My mom sang in the choir and worked in the nursery. And it, it you just feel like this crushing weight of expectation. And who am I going to go to in the church to say, oh, well, you thought you knew who I was, but let me tell you what's really going on. Yeah. Um, I struggle with pornography. And so it was just, it was something I didn't feel like I could talk about in my church. It was definitely yeah. something I didn't feel like I could talk about in my family. Um, so I, I kind of struggled alone and went off to college hoping that I would get caught because I figured there they would have somebody who could help me. They've seen it before. I thought, sure, they've seen this. All kinds of women go to this college. Surely somebody here has done this before. And when I did get caught, they said, women don't have this problem. We know this wasn't you. So that was a hugely devastating blow to me of just thinking, wow, I really am stuck in this. Yeah. Like, I really am the only woman in the world who's done this. And there is something very, very wrong with me. And Well, so tell me this really quickly. Mm-hmm. When you go, so even though you knew that you weren't really a Christian in high school and you were in this cycle, did you experience isolation like internally? And 
you were still going to church, right? Was there any, did the guilt and shame heap up on you during that time? Or like, I don't know. I'm just curious how uh, it felt to sit in church each week, yet in your private life, be totally consumed with pornography. Yeah. So it feels like it's living, living a double life. Like that's the only, that's the best way I can describe it. And so it was intentionally that way. So I had this mindset of, I don't want anyone to know about this. I don't want anyone to know that I'm going through this. And so that means I'm going to try even harder Mm. to be more perfect and even harder Mm. to achieve these goals because that's my way of keeping you away from me. Like as long as I'm doing all of the right things, you're not going to ask questions. You're not going to pry. You're not going to assume that I'm doing anything wrong. Right. So I... I tell people that like, if there was a Proverbs 32 woman, like if there was like a next step up, like I was trying to become her as a way of protecting and keeping people away from finding out who I really was. And so it was like this shame motivated perfectionism. Like I needed to do all of the right things so that you would stay away and not know about this thing that I was doing that in my mind at that time still had a place. And it was kind of like, you wouldn't understand. So I'll just do all the right things over here. And then you're going to leave me alone and let me have my little, you know, spot, like my stuff over here. Yeah. At one point I did try to kind of approach the subject by saying it was a past struggle of mine. So we did like this exercise in youth group where we talked about who we were before Jesus and who we were after. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, let me, let me test the waters here and see see how this goes over. And so I put that I used to watch pornography, even though like I was actively doing so, but I put that I used to just to see what the response was. And the response was basically from the youth pastor, like, well, glad, glad that's over. You know, glad you're done doing that. That's really great that Jesus saved you from that. Like moving on. like, like Yeah. And so it was kind of like, okay, this is also not a safe place to, to talk about this and have this discussion because they could not wait to move on, not have the discussion. Yes. Well, and I mean, I think that's a good question too, though, for people like me who do serve in youth ministries, is there a better response, you know, because I often wonder, do I shut things down too fast? Mm. Even when someone says they're past them. And I'm not saying there's a formula because I, I know that you don't, you know, there's not, I don't believe there is uh, for anything actually, <laughs> but you know, is there a better response? You always want to keep the door open for conversation. So <clears throat> I feel like a better response would have maybe been to ask like, okay, so what was your experience like with okay. that? You know, as opposed to just going like, who, cause we're assuming that people have like handled it on their own. So think about a different topic, yeah. like something like grief, you know, let's say somebody, a teenager loses a parent in a car accident tragically. And they tell you like, I've lost my parent in a car accident. You're not going to go, whoo, okay, let's move on to the next thing. Like yeah. <laughs> you recognize right. that there's pain there and that that's a big thing for someone to Admit, work through, work through yeah. and that they might think that they're past something, but they're either suppressing it in some way or they're coping with mm-hmm. it in a way that's not healthy. And that's what they're saying that they're past it for. And so I feel like as, cause my, my husband and I work in, in ministry leadership too. And so I feel like you would recognize my husband's a counselor. So this is, <laughs> but you yeah. would recognize like, okay, this let's really 
are you really okay? Like we would do that, you know, Hey, if it ever becomes too much, I'm here for you. Like, I want you to know that you can talk to me. And I feel like we need to have the same approach to these struggles like this, because if a teenager, especially is coming to you and saying like, Hey, I used to struggle with pornography. I used to watch pornography, or I sent images of myself to somebody else. That's their way of starting the conversation. Yeah. It's not their way of ending the conversation. It's their way of opening it. And so if you, we're not willing to step into that in a way that's gracious and, and promoting healing and wholeness, then we've lost an opportunity really to sit down and say like, Hey, so let's talk about that. That's tough. That's, can you tell me about your experience with that? How is it affecting you now? Even if you're not watching it anymore, pornography has long-term effects on the way you think about yourself and other people. Like how, what's your experience with that? Let's talk through this. Let's see where you are in that journey of healing and recovery. I mean, I appreciate that because I know I've sat around a table before and it hasn't been that comment, but it's definitely been a comment that I'm like, whoo, in my mind thinking, okay, where are we going to go with this? Like, you know, like, how am I going to open this up with out also potentially bringing a lot of other young girls into something they might may not be ready for yet. And what I hear you saying is that even if it's not in that exact moment, there are like, take the time to also follow up with that individual to have a one-on-one conversation. If you're really struggling with doing it around the table, would you say yes to that or no, go ahead and bring it out? I would say bring it out in a way that's Okay. That's gracious because what you're going to have, the statistics are mm-hmm. um, one in three, but the statistics are not generationally specific. So the statistics that we have include women from you know ages 12 through 80. And obviously like 80 year olds aren't struggling with this. So they thwart the, right. the pool a little bit here. I can tell you that I went to a church and I spoke at a church and a 12 year old girl went up to another woman, another girl's mom and said, I don't understand why she's here. What's the big deal about her story? Every girl watches porn. And there's a church that reached out to me several years ago now that did an anonymous survey of their ninth and 10th grade girls just to see what they needed to tackle in the coming year in their small groups. 100% Hmm. of their ninth and 10th grade girls shared that they had been watching pornography. And so when you're sitting at that table it's hard because you might be like, well, that's the pastor's daughter. So she's she's obviously not going to have this problem. Right. And that one over there is like, you know, a, a co-leader in the youth group, basically. And then this one always does her Bible memory work. You know, we just have this image of what right. a, a girl who struggles with porn looks like. And we just look at this table and go, there's no way she's here. And so when someone says like, hey, this is a struggle for me, there are other girls in that moment who have just caught their breath because it's a struggle for them too. And now mm. they're waiting. Mm. Now they're waiting to see if it's safe. And if your response is, okay, okay, well, we'll talk about that offline later. They're not sure that it's safe. Okay, And you might get the one, but you've lost the rest who struggle. And so it's an opportunity to just even open the conversation. It doesn't have to go into to places that, you know, people might not be comfortable going, but understand that the, the average age of being exposed to pornography is 12. So if you're dealing with girls who are older than 12, then they're either hearing it from you and getting it in the context of, of health and wholeness and grace, or they're hearing it from their friends. Yeah. So you're not exposing them to anything that they're not going to be exposed to um, by having that conversation, even just in general terms around the table of saying something like, yeah, there's actually, there's a lot of women who 
who struggle with that. And it can be really, really hard to break free. It can really do some damage to how you view relationships and how you view other people. And it can really kind of thwart how you view love and mm-hmm. how you view God even. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that. Let's, let's talk about how there's like fake loves out there that just thwart what God wants for us and go at it from, from that way. And then say, like, if any of you guys want to talk to me about that, I, you can, okay. if you want to do it in private, let's go have coffee or let's go hang out at the mall or whatever, whatever, whatever yes. they're doing nowadays. <laughs> I know. Right. I'm like, whatever wait, are doing. there malls? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> but um, just, no, I just having that, that grace filled conversation at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so, it is so helpful because even, um, some of the young boys, cause I have boys, like there's little things where it's, it's amazing now how the door opens. I mean, it might even be just a thumbnail picture on a website that had like you experienced, it doesn't have anything to do with pornography at all. But because someone has put a thumbnail of themselves with a, you know, front view, all of a sudden curiosity is peaked and you're like, what is this? And mm-hmm. it's just really surprising. And I know that not all, I think parents still are struggling a little bit to think this is possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like this is actually possible. This could be my kid at age 10, even. Um, this episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible? or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. But tell me this, In Quenched, which is your book that you have written, you share your story, you also Share it through the lens of the woman in, is it John 4? Yep, John 4. You share a lot of stories that people have written to you or come up to you and personally spoken to you. And Mm -hmm. something that you write about their stories is you say, I hope you will see how deeply the owners of these stories ache to feel the quenching power of grace. Will you dig into that just a little bit? Like, what do you mean? What have you seen that's a little bit different from some of the other sin struggles that people struggle with? I think for women, the struggle with pornography, it's so intensely personal, first off, like any kind of sexual struggle is intensely personal. And um, it's also so smothered in shame because women don't do this. My we we just have that mentality almost mm-hmm. in the church of yeah yeah men men do this yeah we almost assume that every guy has has seen or struggled with pornography and on the flip side of that we just assume that every woman has never seen or struggled with pornography 
And so a woman who struggles, she is just wanting to know that she's not alone. And I think so many times in our churches, especially the response we have to sin is just stop it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's yes. like, just stop it. Try harder. If you're not free yet, you're not doing enough. You're, That's you're right. not trying hard enough. Yep. And I can't tell you the number of, of times I tried, you know, on, on my mm-hmm. own to, to the point of like beating myself and burning myself, trying to get myself to stop. And the number of women who have come to me with the same level of frustration of like, I am trying and I don't know what to do. And that's because the message of try harder isn't the message of the gospel. And it's not the message of grace. Um, Mm. And when we have this attitude that we have to try harder to get free first, and then God will find us acceptable and then God will love us. We are fighting it on our own. Mm. And that is not a place where any of us want to be. It's not a place where any of us need to be. And I tell people when a woman comes to you, if she shares this with you, it is because the fear of where it is taking her Mm. scares her more than the fear of you knowing. Like Mm. she has finally reached a point where she has realized that she is stuck and she is alone and she's terrified of what happens next. And she's asking you for help. And in that moment, like what she needs to hear is that God's big enough for what she's going through. But mm. so often what they hear is like, well, if you really wanted to be free, then you would be free by now. Like if you don't like it that much, then just stop watching it. Those are not helpful things for a woman who is struggling and for a woman who this is part of her story and who is battling that shame. She is trying harder. She is mm. trying to stop. And she has come to you saying like, I have nothing left to give in this fight. And that's where the message of grace comes in. Grace, what is grace? It says you're right. You don't, you can't do this on your own. Like that's why we need God. That's why we need his help. So they they need that message. They need to hear that they're not too far gone mm. and that God is able and willing and wanting to come and to help them work through this. Well, and what does that look like? You share that with them. Like for you, if you were mentoring someone, Mm -hmm. now you've spoken grace over them in the sense of, yeah, you're right there. You don't have enough willpower on your own. Like, how do you go ahead and help someone press into accepting that grace and daily living in that? Uh, I think that's the hard part, right? The long-term freedom. And you talk a bit about false freedom versus Mm. true freedom. Do we have the wrong goal? Should the goal be to no longer look at pornography? Well, yes, but is that that's the wrong starting point, right? That's, the that's wrong what I hear point. you say. Exactly. No, that's exactly it. There's a great book on this. It's called Unwanted by Jay Stringer, and it talks about how our struggles with sexual sin reflects deeper issues, mm-hmm. um, and whether that's healing from from trauma. I I have had women come to me and share their stories of being sexually abused. And then they turn to pornography as a way to try to process that. And like to someone outside of it, it doesn't make any sense, but to them, it makes total sense. Like they are trying to come to peace with what's happened to them. So they're trying to just numb themselves to it almost. That's right. Um, You have people who turn to it for a coping mechanism. They just don't know how to cope with stress or anger 
or even in my case, it was like every emotion. Like I was really happy. Yay. I celebrate with pornography. I was really mad. I deal with it with pornography. I <laughs> like any emotion that so I had. Like you could just... substitute food in there almost, right? Like right, in exactly. a sense of it's an addiction. Yes, exactly. And that's why it's so important to get to the root because what you will have is what I've heard called pinch hitting before. You will have someone who you convinced her to stop watching pornography. Yay, go you, great job. But now she's binge eating or now she's cutting herself instead because she, you haven't healed whatever it is that's hurting in there. You haven't helped her get mm. God into her heart. Like you've just tried to whip her into shape by like making her not watch things that she's not supposed to be watching, but you haven't brought God into her story all the way. You haven't shown her how, Hey, what happened to you was wrong, you know, and then, and let's process through that. Let's get you to somebody who can help you process through that. Or, Hey, this is not how we handle emotions. You know, this is not a healthy way of coping with this, or no, this is not a healthy view of relationships. You're not getting at the roots. And I tell people, you if a tree's putting off bad fruit, like cutting off the fruit doesn't make the tree healthy. Like yeah, it just makes it look story. like it's healthy. Yeah. And so we have to stop. We get so, I think in the church, especially like, just stop doing that. Just stop doing that. Just stop, 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 stop. And all of our programs focus on stopping <laughs> the behavior <laughs> without addressing the healing that God wants to bring into people's lives. And so- mm. For me, if I were working with a, a woman who had come to me and had said, hey, this is my struggle, my next question would be like, go ahead and tell me your story. Just tell me be like, and flat out, like open like that, because what'll happen is people will start where the pain starts. And so mm. if, you know, in my case, my dad was abusive and left our family. And so I typically start my story there because that's where some of my more defining moments are. And mm. um, you'll have women who maybe it starts with the last boyfriend they had. And you think there's a whole 13 years before that, but, but for her, this story starts there. And so just mm -hmm. sitting down and saying, let's talk about this. Like, let's talk about your life as you see it. How do you view God in all of this and start healing those different broken pieces? Cause if she thinks God hates her guts, Right. Then you can sit there and say, God loves you all you want to. And she's not going to believe you until you're willing to sit there with the guts that she thinks God hates and help her understand that God yeah. loves her. Um, so walking through those pain points kind of with her. Yeah. Well, and James Brian Smith points that out in a lot of his books where he talks about so many of the issues that we face actually some of the root is we have a false belief about God, like God mm -hmm. doesn't love us. God punishes, punishes us always based on behavior. You know, some of those types that type of things. And you're right. I mean, it's really hard to find freedom from something. If you think that God is totally grossed out by you every single time. And it's right. like, no, God, God's much bigger than that. He's not a human, <laughs> right? Like he doesn't right. judge us based on human um, characteristics, but on his characteristics. And so tell me this though, with, because I also don't want to assume that every single person is addict that becomes addicted to pornography is attached to some horribly painful past. I mean, is that the case that sometimes you just have someone who gets exposed and their actual foundational view of what a relationship sexually should look like becomes this heightened false view um, through pornography. Like, yeah, what about those people? Right. Absolutely. Now, you can definitely have people who it doesn't have to be trauma. And that's one of the things that I 
have to fight against with people when I talk about women because they just like assume, well, if a woman's watching this, then it means that she was abused or molested or something. Like we don't assume that with men, you know, like we don't, yeah. we don't go like, okay. In fact, like it's more the opposite. Like we kind of ignore that men can be abused and molested right. in this way and that that can drive them to it. So what do we say for men? We say, oh, they're visually wired and they find this pleasurable. Women can do the exact same yeah. thing. They, We are also visual creatures. Like, like hello. I mean, makeup, you know, <laughs> makeup, clothes, fashion, it's all like visually driven. And some of the earliest studies on pornography from like um, a standpoint of arousal were fMRI studies on both men and women. And they found out that men and women were aroused in the same amount of time. And that women actually found the images more arousing than the men did when they were asked to rate them themselves. And that women found the hardcore images more arousing than the men did. And so we've kind of had this wrong narrative all along (laughs) about how this isn't appealing to women for whatever reason. But the reality is like, we have God-given sex drives that are are good. And it is always the enemy's goal, I think, to thwart what is good and to take advantage of what God has given us and to manipulate it and to turn it into something that makes us go the opposite direction and to, mm-hmm. that makes us ashamed of what God's given us or it makes us misuse what God's given us. So God's given men and women sex drives and we can both be stimulated by visual stimuli. Mm-hmm. It's not something exclusive to men. So we, absolutely you can have, I think, especially in today's younger generation, you can have girls that like, this is, this is what everyone does. Like, this is just our leisure. This is our entertainment. This is fun and it feels good. And it's just what we do. And it doesn't mean that I have daddy issues or that, you know, I, I had a bad boyfriend. It's just what we do. And in that case, what you're, what you want to do when you're talking to those women is figure out what, again, what their experience is with it, but then talk about what it's teaching them. What's it teaching you about your body? What's it teaching you about other people? That's do right. you think it's a good a good educator about sex. Cause it's not, <laughs> um, no, that's my thing. I'm not. like, that's not, that's not what real sex is like. Just right. like, not at all. <laughs> right. It's not like that. Um, and so you just want to kind of walk through it that way, but, and that's the same conversation you'll have with, with any of them, but right before you have that, you want to make sure that there's not anything further back that needs, that needs addressed too. Yes. Okay. I mean, that, it, it's just those types of things too, that I always want parents even to hear, like, this is not a respecter of persons, depending right. upon if you're in a wealthy home or an unwealthy home, if you're, you have 10 TVs in your house or you have zero TVs in your house. Yes. Are there certain things that can make your exposure um, probably higher, more likely? Yes, mm. but it doesn't always matter. We have like devices living in our pockets now. Right. And so it's everywhere. And like you had talked about earlier, novels and a lot of those are I don't know this for sure you can speak to it would you say those are almost gateway quote unquote drugs they absolutely can be you'll have novels you'll also have this thing called fanfic which is like a online forums that are pretty popular where people will write out stories using their favorite characters like twilight for instance and they'll they'll write oh. their own stories and some of them are completely benign some of them like to be fair are cute totally normal stories yes but then you'll have like the rated mature ones where are it's the fantasy of whoever's writing it of this person and this person together and so those are also a gateway that not a lot of people know about Um, wow okay yeah it's called fanfic fanfic forums so they're just forums where people go in and 
let's imagine this person from this movie was with this person from this movie. And, and then they like write their own scripts in a way um, for people to read through. And I believe interesting one of the more popular, I want to say 50 Shades actually, and I don't know for sure, I'd have to check, but I want to say 50 Shades actually started as a fanfic piece. Like it was, she started her work in forms like that. And when it took off, moved out to an actual published book and obviously then a, a movie, but. Wow. I think sometimes too, it's so easy to, particularly with children, you know, they're just sitting out in the family room on their computers doing their things. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what? There's that website. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I didn't know that could lead to this, to this, to that, you know, and um, you don't want to be like hyper sensitive to it, but you have to also just be aware yeah. that we are such visual creatures. And it sounds like that this is your experience once one time is all it takes to really suck you in. One time is is all it takes to leave an imprint. And so mm. I was I was 13 when I was exposed. So that's obviously a very impressionable age kind of. Yeah. So one time is all it takes for it to be basically a traumatic experience. And um, that was a helpful way for me to look at it. My counselor helped mm. me with that when right before I got married um, to start viewing my experience as somewhat of trauma. Like I shouldn't yeah. imagine if a 13 year old walked in on somebody, right. like a real life couple, we wouldn't just <laughs> like, we would, we would intercede. We would do something. We would react in a way to like help Good make point. sure they were okay. And so if your kid, you know, finds a porn website and your response is to like freak out, lose your mind, take the iPad, you know, it, you're not helping them process what just happened. You know, you're, point. you're not helping them categorize that and give words to it and, and work through that. And so that's why I, I try to tell, like help people, like if they walked in on somebody, we would respond differently than we almost treat them like, like they're responsible if they found it on okay, a device, yeah. you know, um, whereas if, you know, someone willingly exposed them, we'd be totally angry at that person for doing that. Or if they walked in on somebody, we'd be like super apologetic. I think like as parents, like, I mean, my daughter's yeah. only three, but like, if, you know, yeah. it's always like, shut the door and lock it. I don't need her to have this memory. Like, so like, <laughs> we would, we would respond differently, but when it's our kid on their phone, it's like, you should have known better. Well, should they have, did you tell oh. them better? Like, are they just supposed to know that this is out there and then they're not supposed to do that? Like we have to frame that conversation differently. That is a good perspective because not even is it just that you're coming in and seeing mom and dad who are partners in love with one another, but it's strangers. Like we would totally even respond differently in a stranger situation. And if it's violent pornography versus like, you're right. I mean, if you think about it in real life, how would we respond? Yes, we would not shame the viewer. Right. So tell me about shame as we kind of begin to wrap up here a little bit, because so much of your book is about shame. And um, I love that you dig so deep into just Dan Allender's work and so many of his co-authors and huh, Dan Allender, what a gift he is to all of us, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for Dan Allender and all the work he does. Um, but just talk a little bit about shame and even how that cloak I, I don't know. It just, it's a burden that introduces a whole new problem to try to get free of mm. um, that you really write beautifully about in the book. So talk about that a little bit, maybe your own personal experience or just a little bit about what you share in Quenched. Mm -hmm. So in Quenched, I walk through a couple different or three different signposts that Dan Allender and his co-author, Tremper Longman, 
um, came up with in their book, the cry of the soul, which is Mm -hmm. a book basically about shame. And um, he talks about how one of the first signs of shame is just an absorption with ourself. So Mm -hmm. it's this focus on, you know, I think about in my own life, yes, God can, God loves everybody. God's great. God's good. But I have messed up too much. I am a failure. I am a fraud. I mean, how many, I, I struggle with this even as a mom, like, That's oh, right. I'm a horrible yep. mom. You know, I, 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 I have done all the wrong things. Like I can't get anything right. I've completely failed, you know, and it's this turning on ourselves almost mm. of just, it doesn't matter what someone else says to us. It doesn't matter if someone else says, oh, you're doing a great job. Or if we believe God loves us, <laughs> none of that matters. Yeah. We are just consumed with all that we think we've done wrong. Um, the second one is a, a flight from exposure. And so we, uh, again, this was part of my story of working really, really hard to make sure I never got found out. And so mm. it is this running away. And I tell people, shame is an isolator. Mm-hmm. And what it will do is it will convince you that nobody around you is safe and that the only way to stay safe is to cut off all these relationships. And so you will start to just distance yourself from people when you're living mm-hmm. kind of consumed by shame because you don't want people getting close. And in Quench, I talk about like Adam and Eve, what did they do? They ran, they, yeah. they hid, <laughs> you know, they didn't want to be exposed. They didn't want to be found out. They covered up and they hid, like they did a double, you know, like I'm yeah. covering up from you, my spouse or my other person. And then we're together also going to hide from God. Mm-hmm. So feeling like I need to hide, feeling like I need to protect, I can't be known. I can't um, belong. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that I keep going through the book is if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. Yeah. And I think a lot huh. of women who struggle and there's worship leaders that reach out to me. There's pastors, wives that reach out to me and say, if people knew who I really was, I would lose everything. Like there's just this fear of being known. And then the third signpost is violence. Um, And that sounds funny, but like in my story, it was part of that. Like I was resorting to self-harm when I tried to get free and felt like I couldn't, I would lash out at other people. I tell people that I like, I built walls everyone talks about walls. Everyone has walls somewhere, but I built walls. I like built a moat around the walls, filled the moat with alligators and like stationed fire breathing dragons on top because (laughs) it was like, I don't want you anywhere near me. And if you dare get close, I will make sure you never try again. And so there was this level of anger and violence at myself and at other people who were, who were trying to get to know me. And I think it's just, it's, Mm. It was so helpful for me to even read that book years removed and go, oh, these were all ways that shame had kind of hijacked how I was doing relationships. And so what's helpful to know is that these are the signposts of shame, which means that they're not a part of healthy and good relationships. And so it's not good and healthy to lash out at people and to be angry with them all the time. That's not a normal thing. So how do we work through and and have grace for other people and grace for ourselves in these different circumstances? And so for me, the heart of writing quenched was to address shame because I think Mm -hmm. women have to understand that to break free, you need Jesus and shame tells you Jesus doesn't want you. And so Mm -hmm. you have to be willing to kind of fight that shame head on and go, no, I know he does. I know he Mm -hmm. does want me. And that's 
the first wall almost falling to be able to let healing and wholeness happen is when we believe that Jesus does want a relationship with us and he's not scared by our, our Mm -hmm. stuff and that he's willing to help us fight for freedom from it. That's what he wants is what the Holy spirit's for. So um, being able to tear down those walls and understand that, Oh, this isn't other people being weird or unhealthy. Like this is actually shame affecting my relationships. And how do I Mm. fix that? Yeah. Well, and for anybody that may be listening, um, again, quenched is not a how to book, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's like, okay, now I believe that Jesus is what I need, but I'm still struggling to accept that. And you do a beautiful job in walking through the woman at the well with Jesus and the shame she was experiencing. And so that's why I would encourage, you know, if someone's listening and struggling, pick up Jessica's book, because again, it's not a how to, it is a starting point Mm. of realizing what shame is doing to you, realizing that the grace of God really is available for you. It's available, hard stop, no matter where you are right now. If you are in the depths of the darkest moment of your life with pornography, whatever it may be, like that grace is available for you. And so speak directly as we, like I said, close out here to the person who maybe maybe is listening and struggling with pornography. What additionally would you say to them? I'd say I kind of like the beginning and the end point. So I would say the first thing you want to do is tell somebody. And I know that's like mm-hmm. terrifying. <laughs> like I get it. Even when the conversation was in college, the second college I went to, it was, we know some of you struggle with pornography and we want to help you now go ahead and write down on this sheet of paper, what your stronghold is. Like anybody could have any kind of stronghold, even with that clearly like engraved yeah. invitation, practically, I was terrified to actually share that this was something I struggled with. So like, I'm not coming to this as someone who doesn't know what she's talking about. Like Mm -hmm. I've walked this journey of actually having to say, my name is Jessica Harris and my stronghold is pornography. So yeah, it's completely terrifying, but it also is so helpful in combating shame because Mm -hmm. we are not letting shame protect us anymore. And so we're shame likes to pretend to protect, like I'm, I'm saving you from all the heartbreak and I'm saving, no, you're keeping people from being known and you're keeping people from community. So when you kind of defiantly say like, I'm done hiding, I want freedom more than I want to be protected, Mm. then you can go to someone and you can say, and pick somebody who you know, is a a good, godly and safe person. And they might be shocked at first. And that's okay, because this can be a a confusing and shocking thing. But shocked is not the same as shame. Like, like those are different. And then just share that this is part of your story. And you're not asking them to, you know, beat you up for it. You're not asking, you're just saying like, I need somebody to know this is what I'm struggling with. And can we maybe try to find a way to work through this together? Can you help me look up a way to, to work through this? There's plenty of resources. I have resources on my website of places that you can go. And there's I'm excited because there's more books coming out. Like Quenched is, is great and I love it and I'm super excited about it. But I have colleagues and friends who we've been in this field for over a decade and they are starting to release books because so glad. it is becoming a thing. And so this is, we're excited, we're stoked. Um, and so there's there are more practical tools that are, are coming that will actually help you walk through these things. But I have a website. I have resources on there too. You what is your website? With, uh, beggarsdaughter.com. Hey, 
And so you can start with things like, no worries. (laughs) You can start Mm -hmm. with things like triggers, which help you identify what is like catapulting you into this struggle. Like where is this coming from and trying to work through those sorts of things with this other person together. We're getting ready to release a study guide that will go along with quenched as well. So things that you can work through with other people. But then on the end point, like at the beginning, it's so scary and everything just seems like it's not worth it to, to take this risk and tell somebody because you just think like, I am forever going to be known as this person. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what people are going to know about me and no one's ever going to, going to know me for anything more. I've have women who say like, I'll never be able to get married. God's going to punish me for the rest of my life for this. And so I, I stand here as a married mom of two with another on the way, like telling you that, yay, (laughs) (laughs) telling you that the life that you think is impossible, that's shame telling you that you can't have that. That's That's right. That shame trying to keep you in your little box away from other people and saying like, don't even dare think that you can ever get out of here and be normal. And I want to tell you that it's so scary at the beginning and it seems so all consuming. You like close your eyes and boom, there's videos popping up when you don't want them to, Mm. but that's not your future. Like that's not, it's not always going to be that way. And it's not always going to be that hard and you can have healthy relationships. You can have a great marriage. You can have a great walk with God. You can be a great wife and a great mom. Like all of those things that you just feel like are impossible and that God's going to keep them away from you. That's not what he promises us. He promises us freedom and he promises us an abundant life. Mm. So even though it's like scary right now where you're standing and it looks like you can't see past tomorrow, because like, it's just, I can't tell somebody what's going to happen. There are great and amazing, abundant things that are, are waiting for you. And freedom is absolutely possible in the biggest way that you can imagine. Oh, I love that. Well, lastly, what about the person who isn't struggling? You write a letter in the back of your book, but what would you say to those people, particularly the ones who are followers of Jesus? Yeah. As followers of Jesus, we have an amazing opportunity to bring grace into this conversation mm-hmm. and to be the answer. Because when a, a girl, especially talking about, let's talk about teenage girls, when she's struggling with pornography, she's looking for a place to belong. Yeah. And if she doesn't find that in the church, she's going to find it with all of her friends who are watching the same stuff. And she will find her acceptance and her freedom, quote unquote, there by being accepted by those people and believing that God has no answer for what she's going through other than just stop it. And so we have an opportunity as people who believe Jesus and who love Jesus and who follow Jesus to bring a different narrative to the story that she's walking through right now, Mm. where we can help her find something better. Like we can, we can help you find something more and God has grace for what you're going through. He doesn't find this he doesn't find you disgusting. He doesn't find you That's right. horrible. And I think we have to kind of walk away from the narratives that we've had for so long, which are very directed at men, I think. And even men need different narratives, but that's a different topic. But like, that's right. Right. The whole like, <laughs> just stop it and just like keep your it pants doesn't on. Work. Like, it doesn't work. It doesn't, help it doesn't work for pornography. It doesn't right. work for sexual, any sexual immorality. It doesn't work for any sin. It just right. doesn't. <laughs> so we just need to have a different narrative and one that says that there's grace and like, yeah, women struggle with this and here's God's answer for it. Yeah. And it's that you are his oh. <laughs> and that's where you are loved. And he gives you a sense of worth and belonging. That's bigger than anything you're ever going to find in pornography. And so I think we have to understand it helps people and parents. And like, this is the last thing to view pornography as a predator 
and to separate it from lust, especially mm. when you're working with kids. Lust is something that comes out of my own heart. And it's it's a, a heart attitude, whereas pornography is is something external that can almost happen to me, if you will. Wow. And so that's helpful for parents when you have like an eight-year-old who stumbles across pornography on, you know, or is watching it on an iPad. They're not lustful little cretins that you know, like, and we, but we come at it from this angle of like, oh my goodness, you're not even in puberty yet. And you're already struggling with lust. No, they're, they're curious eight-year-olds and they've found this thing, like protect them from it. Like do something, get in there and change that yes. story. Like don't just yell at them. It's not like, it's not them. And so I think having that attitude of grace where we are helping people be freed from the grips of sins mm. that are overtaking us. Like we have to have that attitude as opposed to trying to whip people into shape to look better for Jesus. Like we need to have the mindset of these are people who have been held captive for who knows how long, like that 16 year old that's, you know, struggling might've been exposed when she was five. Yeah. Like, that's 11 years. Like yep. that's a captive that needs to be set free. That's not somebody who just needs to get her act together. Like that's someone who needs rescued. And we have this calling to help bring that message of rescue and hope to them. Mm. Jessica, thank you so much mm -hmm. for using your experience also to find freedom and to dig deep and to help others. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. If you found today's conversation helpful, please share it with a friend. We need people to know Jessica's book, Quenched, and Rosie's ministry, Fight for Love, exists. Also, I truly value your input. Go to graceenoughpodcast.com slash survey to answer a few questions so that I may serve you better. That survey is open now through May 23rd. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.